Now we give a very warm welcome today to everyone to public worship, both those who are in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 46. It's page 271 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. God is our refuge and our strength, in straits a present aid. Therefore, although the earth remove, we will not be afraid. Though hills amidst the seas be cast, though waters roaring make and troubled be, yea, though the hills by swelling seas uh, do shake. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our strength. God is our
bowed together in prayer, let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you for the words of the song that we have uh, been singing. You are our refuge. You are the thrice holy God. We come before you this day as sinners. We thank you that in your graciousness and love you have done something about the plight of the human race. And that is why we are here this day eh, to worship. We pray that we would remember that this very day itself is a constant memorial to us. That we live in a creation. That we are all your creatures. And not only have you created us, you have watched over us all our days. And you have given us many blessings. And we thank you for these things eh, this day. But this day is also a reminder to us that you are the God who came into the flow of the human race. The one born in the stable in Bethlehem 2,023 years ago. The one who lived among us for 33 years. Died outside the city walls of Jerusalem. But on the third day rose triumphantly over death and the grave. And 40 days thereafter returned uh, to heaven where you have been ever uh, since. But this day is not just looking back. This day looks forward to an eternal rest for the people of God. For those who have trusted in Jesus as friend and saviour. And we do give thanks this day for the hope that we find in you. But we live in a restless world. We live in a world that is so often so topsy-turvy. And at a moment like this, after a year's war in the Ukraine, we ask, O oh Lord, that those who have been given positions of power, who are abusing uh, that power, whoever they may be, might be brought uh, to naught. You are the eternal God. By you kings reign and princes decree justice. You raise one up and you take another down. We pray, O Lord, that you would remember us. And indeed the other troubled spots of the world, wherever difficulties might be, we think in particular of the devastation in Turkey and Syria in recent times. Things that we cannot really fully enter into. But we pray that we will be mindful of our uh, fellow men. We think of the political turmoil we find ourselves in as a nation here. We pray that we would remember that it is righteousness alone that exalteth uh, a nation. We thank you for the honesty and integrity of Kate in recent days. And we pray that uh, you would be our sustainer and her stay. We have just sung a song in which the people of God are supplied by all their needs. The city of God at a river. But give its sustenance and life. We come to you in our emptiness and our nothingness. And we ask you to help us and to guide us and to succor us. Give us those in leadership over us who would acknowledge you. And we pray that we would know the blessings that come 
with acknowledging the eternal God. We thank you this day for the sounds of little voices in our midst. They are gifts given to us by you. We pray that we would fulfill our obligations towards them, that we would watch over them and we would nurture them and we would show them what it is to be sinners who lean on Christ each and every day. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I said in my prayer, uh, I made mention of the little ones. It's lovely to see so many uh, young people here uh, today, and I want to speak to you just uh, for a moment. You know, it's a beautiful day out there today. It's been a frosty night, and the sun is there in all its glory, shining down onto our planet. And you know, at this time of year, there are many things that I love. And one of the things I love to do at this time of year is early in the morning to listen to all the birds singing. The dawn chorus. And you know, the blackbird, the blackbird sings at this time of year in a way that it doesn't sing at any other time of the year. And uh, I think it's got a a beautiful song. It does something to you, it lifts you, it, uh, it inspires you. But another thing that I really like about this time of year is the lambs begin to be born. And it just reminds me when I was a boy uh, following the footsteps of my father who was a shepherd and farmer uh, going round the fields to help out with the, with the lambing. And I do remember vividly that every time a little lamb was born, there was something inside me that said, this is a creature, and this is a creature that God made. And it turned my thoughts heavenwards towards towards God. As that little creature, just a few minutes old, tries to get onto its feet and tries to suckle its its mum, it was just a reminder that... This is a creature, that this is a creation we live in, and that we are all uh, creatures of God. But another thing that I was always thinking about regarding lambs, it was a cheviot flock we had. These lambs were there as, well, most of them were white at any rate. Um, and, and, And that reminded me as I looked at these little creatures, they're innocent little creatures, aren't they? They're just so innocent, they've not, done, they've not done anything wrong. And you know one of the names that Jesus has in the Bible is that he's a lamb. And you know we've been preaching for several weeks on John the Baptist, a relation of Jesus who went before him and told the world, hey look out, he's come, the long expected one, the Messiah, has come into the world, he's in our midst. But one of the things John the Baptist said about Jesus was, he's a lamb. And you think, well, why on earth did he call him a lamb? Well, certainly Jesus was innocent. But John the Baptist went on to tell us this. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's why we are here this day. For those who believe in Jesus, he washes us, he makes us clean. And that is just so, so important. And my hope and prayer is this. 
that not just the young people here today but the middle aged and the old that we are all trusting in Jesus the Lamb of God who can take away all our sins now let's sing again to God's praise this time it's in Psalm number 65 and it's found on page 82 of uh, the Psalter Psalm 65 page 82 and it's at the beginning of the song in Zion praise awaits you Lord to you our vows will pay to you all people will come near you hear us when we pray when we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away we'll sing verses 1 to 5 of psalm 65 and zion praise awaits you lord St. Luke in chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and it's at the beginning of the chapter. Then the whole company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? 
And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together away with this man and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt-deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized on Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others uh, who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hung railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come before you this day. We have nothing to woo you into our presence with. We come as people with flawed lives. We come as sinners. But we come because you have commanded us to come to you. And you have also promised to be in the midst where two or three are gathered together in your name. And we seek your blessing this day. We read this book of Revelation that you have given to the human race. And sometimes we find it hard to understand what is being said. But there are other areas where it is impossible not to understand what you are saying. And we glory this day in the fact that you have stooped down into the murky waters of this world, willing to save us as we are. May we remember that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and it is a gift. We pray that as we turn to explore your word this day, that you would be with us and that you would open our eyes and our understandings that we might glean from it so that we are built up for the week that we have just entered into. Whatever may come our way, we pray that we would be given the grace to deal with it in a way that would redound to the honour and the glory of your name. Remember those who are afraid, and we are all afraid for different reasons at so many stages of life's journey. But so often you say to your people, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So be with us, we pray, as we turn afresh this day to your word, and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. 
Let's continue to sing to God's praise this time. It's Psalm number 63, and that's found on page 295 of the Psalter. Psalm 63 on page 295. Lord, Thee, my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for Thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be. That I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face. As I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord thee my God I'll early seek. Lord thee my God
Now let's turn to the passage that we've read in the Gospel according to St. Luke at chapter 23. And we want to look at words found in verse 43. The words of Jesus of Nazareth whilst he was hanging on the cross at Calvary to one of the thieves who were crucified alongside him. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. We will over the next few Sunday mornings seek to explore something around the Easter uh, story. And so we begin with that uh, today. About 1,990 years ago, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, this individual known as Jesus of Nazareth was crucified alongside two other uh, criminals. And whilst the crucifixion process was taking place, there were conversations that took place. Conversations between the two who were on the left and right hand side of Jesus. Conversations with Jesus and these two. And indeed a conversation between one of those thieves and Jesus. And it's this conversation that we pick up in this area of scripture. I'll read from verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at them saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And what I would like to do today is to look at the Easter story under three headings. The first of these headings is lacerations. And then I want to look at what we might call loneliness. The loneliness of Jesus during this whole process. And finally I want to look at the subject of love. Because that is what is manifested above everything else around the whole Easter story. And in particular towards this man when Jesus says to him, Today you shall be with me in paradise. Now if we go to uh, the, the 19th chapter of John's Gospel, at the very beginning of the chapter we read this. Then Pilate took Jesus and uh, flogged him. And that's where this issue of lacerations comes in. Because what effectively happened to Jesus was he was scourged. And scourge was a brutal form of punishment. A scourge was a piece of wood. And at the end of the piece of wood were leather straps. At the end of the leather straps there was a ball of lead that had been mingled with crushed bones. 
It was an instrument that was designed to inflict serious injury. It was an instrument that lacerated the flesh of the person being subjected to it. And on this occasion, it was Jesus of Nazareth who was scourged. And you know, we read in that passage of Scripture that Simon of Cyrene carried the cross for Jesus. And maybe we should not be all that surprised at that, because a man with lacerated flesh on his back would have great difficulty, I would imagine, carrying, even if it was simply the cross member of uh, the cross. But that's the way it was. But here's the question. Why on earth was it uh, like that? Why on earth was it? Now let's remember who Pontius Pilate was. At this stage in Israel's history, the Romans are still the invading power. They are the bosses, effectively. And around the area of Judea, which includes Jerusalem, the top Roman is, uh, is Pontius Pilate. And not only is Pontius Pilate the top Roman, he is the only one around that can give authority for there to be a public execution. Now at the end of the day, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified because of the tremendous pressures that the church leaders of the day brought to bear on the situation. Do you know if somebody appeared over uh, at the Sheriff Court in Inverness tomorrow and they stood in the dock and the Sheriff said after listening to all the evidence do you know what? I don't think you've done anything wrong at all. The next thing we are expecting to hear is this you are free to go. But if the Sheriff then said but you know what? I'm going to send you to prison for two years anyway. You can imagine what the headlines would be in the newspapers on Tuesday morning. There would be an outrage, there would be an outcry, and justifiably so there would be. And the reason being that that's just not justice. If somebody is innocent, then they should not be exposed to any kind of punishment. And yet that is exactly what's going on with Pontius Pilate. Because Pontius Pilate says on more than one occasion, I don't think this man's done anything wrong. And so the just and equitable thing to do is this. It's to say to Jesus of Nazareth, you are free to go. You are free to go about your daily business. But he didn't. And the question is this, why didn't he do it? And the answer seems to be staring us in the face. He was so afraid of others that he would do what he should never have done. And in particular, he was afraid of the church leadership of the day. The bottom line is this. He thought he would lose his position and his power and his influence. And he was ready to sell his soul to save these kinds of uh, of things. 
The sad thing is this, that Pontius Pilate did many things as he tried to hold on to the reins of power. For example, he sends Jesus to be examined by Herod the king. Because when he found out that Jesus was from Herod's jurisdiction, you can see how Pilate's mind is working. Do you know what? I, I, I might be able to get this man off my hands and, and make, it, make him Herod's problem. You see, here is a man who has a conscience and his conscience is telling him one thing this is an innocent man and you know what you should be doing with an innocent man but here is a man for all that and he likes his position and he likes his power and he's threatening to sell his soul to hold on to the reins of power and he sees a way of getting himself off the hook and so he sends Jesus uh, to Herod now it's very interesting Herod for a long time was keen on seeing Jesus he wanted to see him perform a miracle but not for the right reasons not for the miracles of Jesus to have the impact they're meant to have Herod was wanting basically to make a circus out of Jesus and it's very very interesting Jesus performed no miracle for him in fact he never even answered his questions and you know when Jesus of Nazareth will not answer an individual's questions, there's something seriously wrong. And, and this Jesus of Nazareth isn't just a human being. He's divine as well. He knows what's going through the mind of Herod. So no miracle and no answers. But it's interesting. Although King Herod mocks Jesus and arrays him in all the garments of a king, you know, you think you're a king, but you're not really a king. Back he comes to Pontius Pilate. And the thing that Pontius Pilate is looking for doesn't happen, because what he's hoping is that Herod will manage to pin something on Jesus that will justify his execution. It doesn't happen. And Pontius Pilate is as flummoxed as he's ever been. He tries the same with Barabbas, who was a murderer and an insurrectionist. And there was this favor shown to the Jews at this time of the year, Passover, where they could choose a prisoner for release. And Herod's thinking they'll choose Jesus. And that'll get me off the hook. Except they didn't choose Jesus. They chose uh, Barabbas for release instead and things get so bad for this man Herod that his, you know, it's not just his own conscience his wife had said to him I've suffered many things in a dream because of this just man isn't that interesting that, that everywhere you look people can see the justice and the integrity and the righteousness and the innocence of Jesus even when it comes to Judas Iscariot. And he takes 30 silver coins and he throws them onto the floor of the temple. Do you know what he's saying? I have sinned. And I have betrayed innocent blood. Everywhere you look, the innocence and the integrity and the righteousness of Jesus is writ large. And it's writ large on the conscience of Pontius Pilate as well. I don't think you've done anything wrong. But with a nod and a wink you can scourge him. And lacerate him. 
and with a nod and a wink ultimately you can take him and you can crucify him at the end of the day he is bowing to the pressures of people around him and he's not doing justice that's not integrity that's not righteousness but I want to move on to something else and that's loneliness in the experience of Jesus you know sometimes we make this major mistake we think in terms of Jesus being a human being and he was but we think in terms of him being God and he was that ultimately is what enraged the church leadership when at the age of 30 he began to teach and perform his miracles after every miracle they were saying who are you how did you do that where have you come from what are you doing here and and the answer was always the same I'm the son of God and for three years it's the same answer he gives and the church leadership is enraged by it you're not the son of God it's the devil that motivates you And he's saying, oh, but I am the Son of God. And they knew what he was saying. They knew that he was saying, I'm not just a human being, I'm divine as well. And here is a great mistake we often make. Sometimes we think that Jesus was Superman. And that everything in life's journey, he just took it in his stride because he was a great mixture, a glorious ally of God and man, and nothing was a problem. nothing could be further from the truth now I know there's mystery here but you know what we're surrounded by mystery every single day of our lives the sun is shining down onto the grass out there it photosynthesizes and if it didn't do that we would perish on this planet but there isn't a human being on the face of this earth understands that mystery fully everywhere we look we're surrounded by mystery but it's not all mystery it's not all mystery and here is this Jesus and he's not a glorious alloy of God and man he's God and he's man and it means this that the problems he faces in life's journey he faces them as a human being and one of the problems for the human race today is this loneliness there are an awful lot of lonely people around I think that was underscored and reiterated during lockdown and and COVID loneliness became a a, a major problem now now, now that we've moved on a bit it's not that lonely there are an awful lot of lonely people out there in our communities and Jesus wasn't somebody who did not experience that as, as well Do you know, when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem for the very last time, just in the run-up to when Easter took place, he came down the Mount of Olives and he's in the midst of a vast crowd of people. In fact, he's been swallowed up by two crowds. Because when he leaves the city of Jericho, he's at the front of a large crowd of people. But when Jerusalem hears he's coming, another crowd of people floods out of Jerusalem and the two crowds meet and he's swallowed up in the midst of this vast crowd now and it's very interesting as he comes into the city that's about to slaughter him 
He is the focus of all the attention. They are throwing their garments before him. They are waving these branches. They are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know, if it was you or I, I think we would have stopped for a moment and we would have fed our egos. I'm the focus of all of this. I'm going to drink it in. I'm going to lap it up. That's the way we are. We wrestle with these egos of ours every single day. You don't find that with Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, he looked over the city and he wept. And if we go back to the original language, we will discover that it was a profuse weeping. And you think, what on earth is going on here? And he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that stonest the prophets and killest those that have been sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee under my wing as a hen doth gather her chicks? But you would not. And you see, it's an enormous problem for Jesus of Nazareth, this. He comes to be the saviour of sinners, and where there is rejection of it, as there was with the city of Jerusalem, he weeps over it. He weeps over it. But you know, at the time of Jesus' crucifixion and the run-up to it, just a few days after coming down the side of the Mount of Olives, do you know what the crowd is saying? It's saying, crucify him. Crucify him. Now that crowd must have been made up of some people who were in the initial crowd. And you think, what made them change their minds? And what made them change their minds was this. The church leadership of the day was bent on eliminating Jesus. It stirred up the crowd. It was they who were at the heart of uh, this whole agenda. Which reminds us of this. Just because somebody is in church leadership... It may mean nothing at all. It may mean nothing at all. It was crucify him, crucify him. The crowd has gone against him. And he is a human being. And he felt it. And he felt it immensely. But if that was a problem, I think there was an even deeper problem. There was an even deeper problem than that. And that was this. You know, Jesus had 12 special friends, special helpers, the disciples. There was a body amongst the disciples. Judas Iscariot would betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. But the rest, as far as we can tell, were close friends, were committed friends, were dedicated friends. In fact, one of them, Peter, said, You know what, Jesus? Supposing every one of these disciples forsake you and flee, I won't. 
And even if it means me going to prison, that's not a problem. And if it means the ultimate sacrifice, laying down my life for you, I'll do it. I'll stand by you. Don't you worry. I'll be with you. You are never, ever, ever going to be alone. Well, you know, the bottom line is this, that when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we read of every last one of these disciples. They all forsook him and fled. And it gets a lot worse than that. Because when Peter came into the courtyard of Caiaphas the high priest as they were examining Jesus and it was a cold Jerusalem night and they gathered round a fire, he was asked on three separate occasions, have you anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth? In fact, it was, it was more determined than that. The final one said, you are a Galilean and you're one of his. And then with curses and with oaths, he denied knowing anything about Jesus. You know, that was barefaced lies. That's what it was. But you know what? We're all capable of that. We are all capable of that. I'm not saying that any of us would have done any better. But what I am saying is this, that the loneliness of Christ was manifest and was enlarged. It's one thing when the crowd goes against you. It's another thing entirely when your friends turn against you. But that's the way it was for him. But there's another step further. It's not just that the crowd has gone against Jesus. It's not just that his friends have forsaken him and fled. You know, throughout his whole life, Jesus was in communion with God. He would go to meditate and pray on regular occasions. Sometimes he spent the whole night praying, communicating with heaven. And you know what he calls his his God in heaven? His Father. He called him his Father. Uh, The mystery of the Trinity is great, but it's clear from the pages of Scripture that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that Jesus of Nazareth would communicate within the Trinity. But you know, ultimately when Jesus is on the cross at Calvary and there are seven sayings from the cross, one of them is this, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The astonishing thing is these words were penned a thousand years earlier in one of the Psalms, one of the songs of the Bible. And you think, how on earth does that all fit together? Well, it all fits together because the eternal God is behind everything and he knows exactly what's going on in any given moment of history. And there's nothing out of kilter with him. He knows the end from the beginning of every matter and uh, every issue. And so, at a stage of the crucifixion process, there's no son-father relationship. That's all gone. And you think, why is that gone? 
And that is gone because although Jesus was absolutely and utterly innocent, for those who go to him and believe in him, it's a two-way thing that happens. We give him our lives that are tarnished and flawed and sinful. We give it to him. And in turn he gives us his perfect righteousness. It's called substitutionary atonement. And it's the greatest gift that any human being could ever get in this world. You know, we spend our lives in our folly trying to make ourselves good enough for God. We can't do it. We haven't got what it takes. But the glory of the gospel is this, that he does it for us. Salvation is a gift. But my point is this. The sheer loneliness of Jesus. But what does that mean for us uh, as we go through life's journey with all the stresses and the strains and the problems that come our way? It means this. We may be in a situation where no other human being on the face of this planet fully understands the pang and the pain of the moment that you're going through. But you cannot say that of Jesus of Nazareth. It means this, we can turn heavenwards and we can open our souls to Jesus and he knows exactly where we are. And you know, that's a great solace and that's a great comfort when the wind's against us and the tide's against us. But there's the third point I want to move on to and that's the love of uh, the Easter story. And here it is in a nutshell. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth is being crucified, the innocent, uh, alongside two others. And you know, at the beginning of the crucifixion process, both of these men are railing at Jesus. We read that from the other uh, gospel narratives. And they're both saying to him, If you are who you say you are, get us down from these crosses. They're afraid. And we're not going to point a finger at them for being afraid. They know that the end of this process is death. They are staring death in the eye and they are afraid. And we're not going to criticize them for that. But you see the problem is this. They are both saying of Jesus, if you are who you say you are. And that little word if is very significant. They don't really believe it. But one of them falls silent. And in that period of silence, he does a lot of deep and profound thinking. And then he, he instigates a conversation with his former partner in crime. And you know what he's saying to him? Do you not fear God? Because I do. I do. And not only does he say that... He, he, his hands are up. He's saying, we're getting what we deserve. We can't argue with this. The judicial process has caught up with us. We know that we've done what we shouldn't have done. We can't argue with this. But this man in the middle, he's done nothing wrong. And then he does something remarkable. He says to the man in the middle... Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? You know, there were many around the crucifixion scene. All they could see was a hopeless, wretched, bedraggled man. 
who had hopes and aspirations of being some kind of influential person, of being a Christ, of being a king. He, his dreams are in smithereens now. And as the blood flows from his veins, he's come to a very sad and sorry end. He's not a king. He's not the Christ. He's not the God-man that he says he was. Except this man can see something that many around the crucifixion site cannot see because he says he says he's a king and he knows he's got a kingdom and he asks to be remembered and this is what Jesus says to him today you will be with me in paradise now paradise is a synonym for heaven now that is absolutely remarkable because would we blame Jesus if he said to that man do you know what you've lived out your days in rebellion against God you've just admitted that you're getting what you deserve what on earth would I be interested in anyone like you for and would we have blamed Jesus if he had said to him you know what you're of no use to me or anybody else anymore. You stick with what you've got. You're getting the consequences of your deeds. But that's not what he says. What he says is this. Today you shall be with me in paradise. And that is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus is the eternal Son of God who becomes a human being who suffers and dies at a place called Calvary. On the third day rises again and 40 days thereafter returns to heaven. What on earth for? To save sinners such as we are. That is the glory and that is the beauty of, uh, of the gospel a message. Was he lacerated? Yes, he was lacerated by an unjust judge who was willing to just hold on to the reins of power at any cost. That's not good. That's not good. Was he lonely? He was very lonely. The crowd turns against him. His friends turn against him. Even God turns against him. You think, why on earth would he do it? And the answer is this, he does it in order to save the likes of this man who hangs beside him, who with the final word says, will you help me? Will you please help me? And he says, yes. Yes, I will. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That is the hope that the gospel gives. That is the hope that God gives to this nation and to the nations of this world there can be reconciliation with God on the basis of sheer gift and because of that we bow before him this day afresh in worship and in adoration Amen, let's pray O Lord our God we pray that we would remember what the Easter story is all about we pray that we would ever be thankful that you stoop down into the murky waters of this world and that you give hope to whomsoever will come unto you. We pray that you'd be with us as we leave this 
place today. We pray that we would use this day for the honour and the glory of your name simply because you deserve it. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 23. It's found on page... It's found on page 229 of the Psalter. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. Listen to this. Goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me. And in God's house forevermore my dwelling place shall be. If we are united to Christ by faith. That is the blessing that we all look forward to. Let's sing the whole of this song to God's praise. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with